Welcome, Andes and Chickenheads, to episode 265 of the Nerd Stravaganza podcast, where, as the Blade Runner sequel is in the offing, we have decided to read the book upon which it is based, again, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep by Philip K. Dick, and we will be discussing that and maybe the sequel to Blade Runner. We're probably going to follow this episode up with a discussion of that, in fact. But I should probably get the episode underway by introducing my co-host, Brian and Cam. Welcome, guys. Hey. What's going on? Sorry, I got so into the topic, I forgot you guys were there. I might have just rambled on for 45 minutes like an android, right, without, without having the empathy to know that you're part of the, uh, the show, too. So, yeah, should be a fun topic. Looking forward to getting into that. Of course, we have to start things off in our usual fashion, though with our weekly geekly geekly weekly update in which we update our audience about all the things going on in our geeky lives so cam what have you been up to this week uh man this you know i was inspired so much by our um apocalyptic episode last week um that i just and i think i even brought up fallout as my favorite like franchise or whatever apocalypse sort of uh, franchise during during the, the podcast and I was like you know what I had started Fallout yes. 4 I never finished it so I literally for the last like six days have probably logged I would say 60 hours of game time probably I mean I've, wow. I've, I've been playing <laughs> nice. like, non-stop like all night um, like my companion gets up at like 5 in the morning and I'm usually I'm still usually still playing, yeah when she's woke, you know been waking up every day uh so yeah, I've been doing that. Um, <clears throat> played a bunch of a bunch of Fallout, um, and honestly, like that's it. I mean, I, I reread the I reread the book. That's our topic tonight. And um, I finished. Oh, Brian, actually, I finished the book you gave me, um, "The Name of the Wind." Uh, by what'd you I think? It. I thought it was great. Um, yeah. I thought it was really good. Um, I, I don't know that I was like. I guess maybe loved it was strong. I really liked it. I really enjoyed it. Um, I liked the another book you recommended to me, The Lies of Locke Lamore. I think I liked. I loved that book. Um, I would say that I, I just thought Name of the Wind was good, but you know, I, I don't know that it was like, oh my god, like it's so amazing. Uh, I, I feel like maybe maybe it was too hyped up for me though, too. You know, so maybe that that, that played into it. Um, but uh, I'm looking forward to reading the next one. So that's good. Those are both good books. Yeah. And, well, I guess those are all three good yeah. books. I loved the uh, Gentleman Bastards too. Yep. Absolutely, I uh, loved that series. Um, and uh, I just started on Neil Gaiman's Neverwhere. What's that all about? Um, so far, it's about the this guy. He's just like a normal English guy, or he's a, he's a Scottish guy. He goes from a little little town, but he's pretty smart. He goes to England, starts working at an investment house. And it's like in the few, it's like in like modern time. And then somehow he gets sucked back into or under like the city and under the city, I guess called the Neverwhere or whatever. It's like, it's almost like this, it's like a fantasy world. It's like sort of like old school England, but there's like magic and, you know, people that speak to rats and all kinds of other stuff. I mean, I'm very, very early on in the book, but it's, it's pretty cool so far. Yeah. Interesting premise, yeah. I'd like to hear more about that. I definitely will. It's funny. I, I've literally been just like throwing on some audiobooks and playing Fallout like all night <laughs> for the last week. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's what I've been up to. What about you, Brian? 
Uh, finally got to, uh, catch up with, well, not catch up with, I finally got to watch, uh, the Orville and as as you probably know, the, uh, Star Trek Discovery, like premiere was this week. So, uh, got to pretty much compare and contrast those almost back to back. And, um, I, I think... I kind of prefer, at least right now, uh, the Orville. I, uh, I'm actually not really a fan of of uh, Seth, whichever one that is. But um, aside from the occasional dick joke, it's a pretty solid sci-fi series. Yeah, the review I was reading was basically either I was reading this or one of you guys was reading reciting it to me <laughs> last time we spoke. I don't remember, but. You can tell that he really he although he's a comic man he really wanted to like make a serious sci-fi series and that was like that like really shows through. I, I really think there was just miscommunication. I really think he thought like he could do whatever he want and then they were like, "Hey guys, this isn't funny." And he's like, "No, it's sci-fi. You got to <laughs> add some jokes." Oh, all right. Well, how many jokes do you want? I'll just add five per episode. Yeah, whatever. Well, we saved that race from genocide. Hey, that reminds me of the time we didn't save a race from genocide. They do like a Family Guy style, <laughs> like what were those called? Like dot flashback, but vignettes or whatever they have. Yeah, vignette. Yeah. Is the comedy like? I mean, is it humorous when it is humorous, or are they just kind of trying to force no, it? No, and it's usually like interjections. I remember one of the jokes was, "God, that was hot." Ha ha! Like, <laughs> I, uh, yeah, it was not. I don't know, but uh, I, I like like I said, like I actually really liked the episode. It dealt with uh, a, an interesting topic. It uh, did not have the trite outcome you would expect, and uh, uh, both series look slick as shit. I really like that. Like, there's some killer uh, production values in both of them. Cool. And uh, the Star Trek, that, that that premiered on the network, so you could watch it without having their subscription. Yeah, the pilot service. was on, I think, like 9 p.m. Sunday night. And then they were just like, subscribe now. And I was like, no, I guess I'm done with this. Oh, wait a minute. So, so that's what I thought. I thought it was behind <laughs> a paywall, but like it was already out behind the paywall. Like, And now they're just putting it out on regular TV. So so they just, they're doing everything in the world to fuck it up. It's not actually out behind a paywall. They're doing a weekly release behind a paywall and that paywall. You still get commercials. Oh shit. What? I think it's six bucks a month is like what they've been advertising and everything, but that's six bucks with commercials. And it's like $15, I think for, for no commercials. And there, it's not. It's not. You can't binge it. Like there's episodes one and two are out right now. Oh god, yeah, they're releasing it timed. So it's it's like Hulu in that respect. You can buy your way out of commercials. But I mean, uh, for you more can money. also buy and not get your way out of commercials. Which fuck that, Brian. That's the value tier. You're saving money in order, but then you have to endure the commercials. <laughs> uh, or you can skip it because yeah. What what do you think? Is the show worth paying a subscription fee to watch commercials? So not? I'm like an old curmudgeon. Dude, I could not get past those those uh Klingons. What are they stupid looking? You haven't even seen the Klingons? No, I pay no attention. Uh, dude, just purpose. Google it right now, seriously. 
Just just Google Discovery Klingons. Tell me what you think. Discovery Klingons. Okay, I'm doing that. This is happening as we... Wait, where's the Klingons? There's some kind of, like, uh, orc-looking creatures from Lord of the Rings or something. But they're, like, I don't know, almost Egyptian-themed? They're, like, gold and black with, like, headdresses and... But they don't look like... Yeah, they don't look like Klingons, though. Like, why are they blue or something? But this is not a reboot, and this is not supposed to be in the new universe. They just decided, like, I don't like Klingons. Let's make a Star Trek with not Klingons. So they made them look really... I mean, if this was a new alien race they were showing, that'd be one thing, but they look really weird. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's super weird. And I just don't, like... I don't know. I don't approve. Like, look... Klingons have looked like that for a long time. And if you really, if you just absolutely positively have to change up your Klingons, go with like the original Klingons. I don't know why just go like off the rails. Yeah. They, I think they even at least tried to explain why the Klingons appearance changed over the years, you know, from just like guys with mustaches to guys with head ridges to, it looks like what's his name? Uh, uh, Lou Gossett Jr. in uh, Enemy Mine. Exactly, dude. You're right. Wow. It really, which was a great movie, by the way. That was an awesome movie. That was an amazing movie. I'm just trying to make some sense out of it. Yeah, I don't really understand the thinking here, Brian. It's, this is a radical departure in form. And I guess are they basically saying, like, same universe but different interpretations? So just. I, I, don't I worry about wasn't it. interested enough to do the math. They kind of told you when it was. So I'm sure people know, like, it's, you know, 100 years before Kirk or whatever. I don't know. 200 years after Picard. I, I don't know. But mm, I don't It's just I, uh, I can't, and you have no can't idea. get past, like, we're going to reboot. Or, or we're, we're going to make a new series and, and stay faithful to nothing. It's really bizarre. And you have no idea when this takes place relative, or you don't know off the top of your head when this takes place relative to the other stuff. Well, this this is twenty two forty. So if anyone's better than timelines, than I am, twenty two forty is early, I think. Right, yeah. like like pre Kirk, right? After Enterprise, but before Kirk, I would say. Yeah. Oh boy, and there's already the problem of Enterprise having technology that looks way better than the. <laughs> stuff on, like jarringly better than what was on the original series. Um, and I don't know, there's like, there's different aliens than there ever were before, which is cool. Like, Oh, introduce new aliens. But like now, I mean, are they all killed because there aren't any in the future? Uh, I'm very, I, man, I don't know. I don't know what to make of this. I, I've kind of, I was determined not to subscribe to the streaming. So I've kind of been avoiding this cause I didn't want to be tempted they might have helped me with these weird Klingons. I don't know. I will say this. Coolest intro to any series I've seen, like, probably ever. Just really? absolutely killer intro. I was so excited for, like, five minutes. And then the show, then the, then the weird blue, look blue, black, I don't know what color they are, uh, Klingons came out. Yeah. Well, report back on it, Brian. I'm, I'm, if you highly recommend it, I will take the plunge. I will even pay for the streaming service i mean if you're way into uh, dick jokes just watch uh just um the other one just watch the orville and i guess i don't know i i really don't know if you love the remake movies go for discovery oh and you like commercials and paying to be allowed to watch commercials 
Ugh. I'm already paying extra to Hulu to not watch commercials, so I'll just settle for Orville, I think. Okay, so anything else? Uh, no, that was pretty much the the exciting stuff. What about you, man? Uh, been playing a great deal of Final Fantasy XV, actually. I am really into that game. My guys are all level like 50 now and uh, just plowing through. Level 30 goats. <laughs> yeah. I've I've tamed most of the wildlife. No, I'm really I'm doing all the hunts, all the side quests. I am advancing the story every once in a while. To get parts of the map to open up, you kind of have to. But I'm at the point now where it wants me to depart for like another landmass, and I don't know if that's going to like lock me into a a tunnel where I can't get back. That game did, so did a good I job am, of warning you, didn't it? Like, make sure you don't save your game because you're never coming back. Yeah, it usually is like you will not be able to return for some time. And I'm like, okay. And there are certain times when like you cannot use the regalia, which is the car, and you cannot use the uh, the birds and all this kind of stuff. So I'm being pretty careful about that. But I'm having a good time, man. I'm, I, I even got good at the fishing, Brian. Like, <laughs> we were doing it wrong. Like, Cam, try to imagine this. There's a fishing game where you, you use the trigger on the PlayStation controller to reel and like the analog stick left and right to basically move your line in the direction of the fish. Because if you're pulling against the fish and reeling, your line, the tension will go up on your line and it'll snap, right? Well, Brian, it turns out, you know how like the tension thing would turn like that? It would say, you know, go to the left and you would put the stick to the left. It turns out that until it gives you directions otherwise, you can keep reel. Like once the tension backs off the line, you could just then hit reel, hit, hit the reel button while while going in that direction. And you get you gain a lot of uh you, you you knocked out the fish's life bar sufficiently. So I've perfect. I won't say I perfected fishing, but I'm doing much better. Anything good doing it so far? Just like better fishing rewards. I don't know if there's some awesome like <laughs> prize, but I'm level nine and I think everything maxes out at 10. I know Prompto's photography max out at 10. So yeah, I don't know. Hopefully I get like the, uh, fishing lance of doom and I could like kill my enemies with a fishing pole or something. <laughs> But yeah, Final Fantasy XV, uh, of course, reading this book, and that is pretty much it. I've just really, it seems like we've all been kind of sucked in by a couple things this week, so we're consistent in that regard. And I think that concludes our deep but not so broad weekly, geekly, geekly, weekly updates. Which means, since there's nothing going on in the world, we can move right on to tonight's episode, unless, unless, Cam wants to intervene with a segment we like to call... The News Extravaganza. Yes, well, I... I went all Japan. Nice. A lot of... Lot of I love Japan. I love everything that comes out of Japan. Um, and I love their quirkiness and weirdness. So I just decided this week, you know what? Since we're talking about the future, and we're talking about an 80... Well, a reboot of an 80s movie where back, you know, when... In the 80s, remember when it was like everyone was like, oh, Japan's buying everything. Japan's going to own America. Yeah. <laughs> I figured, why not Why not do a little, you know, Japanese uh, stuff? So, um, the first is that KitKat, uh, well, Nestle, that owns the KitKat brand, or the KitKat uh, uh, candy, um, has so much demand in Japan, which is not that big of a country, you know, they don't have that many people. I mean, Japan has probably about as many people are in Florida, I would think. I think it has like 100 million know. people, though. It's pretty. It's, oh, it's, does it's it really? Good shit. Yeah, like in a, it's a small landmass, but big population. Oh, I thought they had. I thought they had 20 million, but still, 100 million. That's still only like one third. You know, not even one. Maybe a quarter of the U.S. 30, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Um, they had to open up 
a, a whole factory there just to keep up with their KitKat demand. Wow, they're that into it. And they've got like, oh huh. my god, and they have like so many flavors, way different flavors than we have here. Like not even close. Like you know, we have like regular KitKat and like white, Kit, you know, the white chocolate KitKat. Um, they have three hundred different varieties. Wow, that many? Jeez. Yeah, three hundred different. They have green tea. I've had that one. Cherry blossom. They have sushi flavor KitKat. Yeah. Wow. They have white chocolate, strawberry, um, but literally 300 different, over 300 types of flavors. Yikes. That's insane. I I didn't know. I mean, I like a Kit Kat. I just can't see (laughs) that many variations on it. Yeah. No one, I mean, no one understands why people, like, they love Kit Kat over there so much. Um, It just, for whatever reason, it's just like a huge hit. Um, is there some kind of strange also, onomatopoeia? Does that mean like the sound of a girl's bra unbuckling or something in Japanese? Yeah. <laughs> it, it, well, it sounds like kito kato, which means surely win. <laughs> but oh. I, it's not, that's not like, I mean, unless that's some weird like sexual innuendo, like you're going to score, like kind of, <laughs> I don't know. But, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, that's crazy. I mean, I, I feel like if I went to, Japan, I would bring back like just every single flavor of Kit Kat as, as a, <laughs> you know, as a souvenir. Yeah, it's probably worth it to, but then you would want to eat them. You know, you'd want to like just hoard them. It'd be like a collector's thing. It would get weird, Cam. I think they would eventually rot. I mean, I'm yeah, sure. I'm sure, I'm sure they're, they're shelf stable to a point, but. I don't know. I feel like it, maybe I've been watching Fallout too much where like 250 years later, I'm still eating and drink new Coca-Cola and drinking, <laughs> eating cram and dandy boy apples. <laughs> dandy um, boy. <clears throat> yeah. Um, so yeah, so crazy Kit Kats going on over there. Um, also in Japan, um, if you don't like people watching you eat, um, you can buy the all alone, quote unquote, all alone tent that lets you sit for hours in total solitude, even in a room full of people. Um, this never needed a tent for that. Yeah, it's it's just funny to me, like what like the Japanese like think is acceptable. I mean, it's already funny that they walk around like with the masks on and like all kinds of weird shit that they do and have like you know underwear vending machines. <laughs> but this is literally a tent that like it's like the size, I guess, of like a little cubicle, you know, like a, like a work cubicle, and you just like just put it over your desk. And then, like, zip it up. So, like, you, you, it's, like, a, literally a portable tent that you just put. You could be sitting in a room full of people. You put a tent over you. <laughs> like, okay, leave me alone. They don't talk to me now. I'm in my tent. What, headphones don't work in Japan? I, just, I guess if you don't want people to see what you're doing or I, I don't know. That sounds like if you're, like, in a open, one of these so-called open uh, office deals, which is, like, a cube farm with no minus any semblance of privacy, that might come in handy. Like, I'm done. I can't imagine your employer would approve of it. I mean... No, surely not, but unless there's a Japanese employer. It's only $94. You can open it and close it in just a few seconds. It pops up in the exact same shape you put it away in. So you can just, like, sort of, like... It's like a pop-up type thing. You just pop it up, unzip, and walk in. It's well-ventilated with several mesh openings. Um... You can close off zippered areas, um, and it'll supposedly block out every trace of outside light sources if you want. And it can leave you completely in the dark. Um, 
I don't know, man. It's like, like it's it's it makes sense, I guess. Like if you like it from a like, if I was an alien and I had no like social under like you know social obligation to anything, I guess. Um, I guess if I was an alien, that would make sense to me. But uh, can you imagine just like we're hanging out at AGS and it's like, all right, guys, see you later, and I just pop up a tent and like go in there. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's something society would have to come to accept, but yeah, just like he—he's tenting. Leave him alone. Yeah, he's tenting. Oh my god! So they have two sizes: one that's like a you know regular size, and then they have like the deluxe larger size um, for two people. I mean, yeah, that's it. Yeah, I guess. Uh, and then finally, um, <laughs> I, I guess I should have dovetailed this one in with Kit Kat because it's like a a flavor thing. Um, pudding is very big in. Japan as well, and their newest pudding is maple. It's it's pancake syrup and butter flavored pudding. Uh, that sounds both like gross and delicious. It sounds like congealed syrup. <laughs> yeah. So um, it's just pudding with those flavors, or they put like pancake bits in it. It's a fluffy pudding with a buttery, syrupy taste of pancakes. That sounds awesome. I'm glad they stress buttery because I'm actually, uh, I, if I'm having a stack of pancakes, I'm paying more attention to the butter distribution than the syrup. I like that savory <laughs> taste of the butter. Oh, and then it, it's it's one of those like little cups, and then it has like the little side cup that's like sort of like that you can like bend over and dump in. You know oh, what I'm talking about? Yeah, it's like, yeah. You, like rip off the top, and then you like dump over like the little side container. Right. Um, and that contains maple syrup. I see. So pure so syrup that pudding. you can just add. Yeah. So you have like the pudding, and then you just flip the little side thing over, and it like dumps the maple syrup in. Oh man! Now the question is, do you? Do you savor the pudding without syrup, and then you know when you have a lesser volume of pudding, dump the syrup in toward the end and get a like an overload? There's a lot of ways that. to do that. Yeah, That's I what you do. Did that. Whenever there was like a like a you know like a some kind of sectioned off thing, I always sort of like to eat one thing first and then eat like all the icing after or whatever. Yeah, yeah. That was. Uh, do you remember toaster strudels? The yes. the uh, pastry. Yes. Uh, I would hoard the uh, packets and then <laughs> give myself a, a diabetic, a near diabetic coma, even though I'm not <laughs> diabetic. But... In your, in your mouth. <laughs> well, I, I would I would have a toaster pastry with like three or four uh, of the packets long. all over it. Yeah, no, so, I, was, like, I always like the fun dip. Remember fun dip? I Is that just... the cookies you would dip in like some kind of a dip or something? No, fun dip was like that candy, and it was like it was like a pouch, and it came with like the little candy like. Sticker. It was like a, it was like a spoon. No, it wasn't even a spoon. It was like a stick. It looks. Oh so yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you would so, just yeah, dip. Yeah, and you would like lick it and then dip it into like the sugar, yes. can, colored yes. sugar, and then just keep dipping it and dipping it. But I would just like eat the candy stick and then just pour the sugar down my mouth. Just do lines of the sugar, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh gosh. Yeah. Not. Uh, I'm. I'm glad they don't have that pudding here. But if I ever take a trip to Japan. I'm going to, uh, you better believe I'm going to dump that pudding at the last second or dump that syrup at the last second. <laughs> so, yeah, so that's, uh, that's it for the news. If you're ever, in, if you're in Japan, get a, get one of these tents and then just, you know, buy a bunch of Kit Kat and maple syrup pudding and just go to town. No, no one will even know you're 
binging. Sounds amazing. Uh, on terrible food. The companion and I are planning a, a trip there. Well, we, we're imagining a trip there, I should say. Sweet. And uh, my big fear, uh, in addition to gorging on the pudding and the Kit Kats, because I'm so big, will just be, I just feel like I'm going to be too big over there. Like this big, like, in-the-way person. Gaijin smash! Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, you'll definitely, I could just embrace it. You'll definitely be like one of the tallest people there for sure. Yeah. I, I feel like if I need to trim way down so that if I'm like chowing down on like pancake pudding and, and all 300 <laughs> flavors of Kit Kats, it'll be like inconspicuous. Like, oh, this guy just, he's one of those guys that eats and never gains weight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> Go Japan. Yep. All right. Is that it for the news? That is it for the news. All right. That brings us back to the main line show and tonight's main topic, which is, of course, the book by Philip K. Dick, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? And I guess I will say, as I mentioned at the outset of the episode, the motivation here was because they're doing a sequel to the movie Blade Runner, which is based on the book. And we thought we would do an episode on the book and then probably follow this up. If not next episode, then pretty soon with an episode about probably like a hybrid episode about Blade Runner and uh, the sequel. Oh, and of course the, uh, what is it? The speaking of Japan, the anime feature that you shared with us, Brian, that takes place in between the two movies, Blade Runner blackout 2022. There you go. I'm glad you do the title. Yes. All, all that to be discussed in a future episode, possibly the next episode. But uh, tonight we discuss the source material, as it were. And it's fair to say the movie deviates. The, the broad strokes are there, but it deviates to an extent from the book. Would, would you guys agree? Yeah, for sure. The general premise is spot on, though, as far as you've got a, an agent whose responsibility is to take out a commission or retire these androids. Uh, their crime is coming to Earth when they're not supposed to. And they imply that in all cases, in order for them to get away from their colonial masters on Mars, I think is where the villains come from, or, you know, the, the hunted, the quarry come from. Uh, they have to kill their masters in order to escape. Well, maybe we should talk a bit about the universe, I guess, before we get into that. Does that make sense to you guys? Sure. Okay, so correct me if I'm wrong here in any of the things I'm about to say, but there was a, a World War, World War Terminus. By the way, this is spoilerific. If you guys have not read the book. It's 30 years old. Yeah, you should have by now. If you really want to read it and you haven't yet, go read it, then come back and join our discussion at a later date. It's a podcast. It'll keep. <laughs> Anyway, there's been this awful apocalyptic war called World War Terminus. It has reduced the Earth into just a radioactive ash heap, which is more or less uninhabitable now, uh, to the point that the that people are encouraged to emigrate. And I think the book even puts it like you have the you know results of the nuclear holocaust, which are the stick, and the carrot they give you is a robot slave, an android slave, uh, if you agree to go to a colony. And the only colony they mentioned by name is mars because that's where the androids that decker the, the agent is chasing come from but i guess it's implied maybe there's some other ones in the solar system and then they try to launch a long distance ship to proxima i guess what Pro proxima centauri or proxima alpha one of the nearby stars but it turned around at some point 
They don't really explain what happened there. But that's the basic backdrop. And the crime these androids have committed is, whereas humans are being, are being pressured heavily to leave Earth and go to Mars, these androids try to escape Mars to get back to Earth, <laughs> presumably to escape slavery and maybe because they're immune to the effects of the radiation or they die soon anyway and it doesn't matter. But uh, that's kind of the central premise. And then there's a whole bunch of discussion really about the subject of humanity and independent thought and all that. And I thought we could get into really any facets that interest you guys. Did I, did I do a pretty good job of going over the broad themes? Mm -hmm. For sure. Cool. So what do you guys think happened to the world? That's the question I want to ask. Like what it's like, they are very clear when they say nobody even remembers what the war was about or who won. Uh, and do they mean like people don't care or is there like a mass like delusion that was implanted in their mind such that they don't remember or was it a pointless war? Like what do you guys think happened? Well, one thing you did skip over, which I don't know, some people, especially people who saw the movie first do this. Um, humans like program their emotions every, every morning. They just enjoy oh, yes, they how do. they feel. I, and and I, I've actually never really discussed, like, the deep, deep symbolism of this movie with you, but it sounds like you take a much more optimistic view of it than I do. I I, I really believe that I, I, I'm sure people on Mars remember what happened. Meaning that, what, the people on Earth have had the wool pulled over their eyes? Yeah, or... I mean, the people on Earth are like the unwanteds. Yeah. <sighs> And they've been and, misled and lied to and, I mean, like, literally programmed to believe what what the news tells them, what state-sponsored news tells them, and to accept that gleefully. I, I kind of agree. So the, the, the device Brian's describing is called a mood organ, and you tune it to kind of set your mood for the day. And that's one means of control. Another but that's is just what they tell you it does too. Right, right. It might not. You're saying it might be a placebo, like it might not do anything. Yeah. Well, no, it might. It might be something else. I mean, oh, it programs your body chemistry. Maybe it, you know, changes your memories, or maybe it makes you uh, susceptible to other forms of programming. Or maybe, maybe it's just a. Uh, manifestation of the effects of another means of control which is the religion that all the people follow called mercerism so maybe it's like just the power of suggestion brought on by mercerism which is this basically everybody communes you like go and you hold on to these two handles at your mercer box or whatever it's called and then you all like share in this like common like endlessly looping cycle of suffering with this like you know kind of made up messianic figure and what is the do you guys what is the incentive they give you other than communing with your fellow humans all around the solar system what is the big reason a human being would want to engage in communion with mercer do you remember well it's very catholic isn't it isn't surviving uh isn't suffering how you know the the the, the good points matter yeah and it's how you know you're human it's the androids cannot commune they cannot engage in this fusion with mercer therefore it's an exclusively human thing. And the one thing that they harp on over and over, even though their acts don't seem to demonstrate this, is that humans, unlike androids, have a sense of empathy. 
Um, that empathy does not extend to androids, <laughs> evidently, which are the most human-like things that are not human on the planet. But uh, to me, I, if there is a vessel, if there's a vector for the mass programming, I think it's that that mass delusion masquerading as a religion. And I think the you, you're really onto something there with the mood organ. It may be altering your chemistry. It may be just pure suggestion. Or it may be a combination of the two. Pretty pretty scary. What do you think about this, Cam? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you about the Mercerism. Um, and I agree with you about the empathy. Uh, see, I mean, it's kind of hard because, like, uh, you know, I, I think I tend to fall on your side, which is I think that they, they, they put that religious element in there to sort of juxtapose the difference between science and religion you know what i mean mercerism versus well who are the real humans that these these humans that have empathy and that believe in this deity or is it the androids that you know are pure science you know what i'm saying and then on top of that you've got like you were saying okay so i think iran iran the the, the wife was like well i'm gonna uh, program six hours of like esoteric suffering or something like that, you know, <laughs> yes, like, yes, um, to show that she's like, you know, like you said, she's empathetic and, and, and that's her like penance uh, and that she can feel. And so, I mean, I guess that's, I guess, sort of what they were getting at. To me, I, I don't know, it kind of got jumbled up a little bit for me just because I, I, I don't know, I think it's just a function of older writing, too, if that makes sense. Um, it, it just didn't ring when I reread, when I reread it for this, this episode, I, I don't know. It just sort of rang a little hollow to me. The whole book or the, the themes the, or the, what? The religious, the, the, the theme about re, like the religious theme, I think did. Oh yeah. Uh, the Mercerism and the, uh, I guess communing with Mercer and, uh, I don't know. It just seemed a little bit dated. So, so it's kind of hard for me to give a, a good opinion. Well, I'll go back to the the whole power of suggestion thing. And so so it's hard to know where where the control ends. And I, I guess what I'm trying to get at is during this entire book, I came away the first time I read it. I mean, I, I didn't even read it till like last year sometime. And I even dug up my old Facebook conversation with Brian where I was talking to him about it. To me, this book's kind of horrifying because the, 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 the real underlying theme here is control. Um there's a question, I, I guess, Brian, you pose it to me, and I guess it's a common question. Like, you're supposed people debate whether or not Decker is a, a, an android, right? Well, but, it, I mean, they took the test, right? I mean, he, he definitely wasn't. Well, as far as we know, as far as we know, as the reader. To the extent that you can, t- you can that the test isn't completely rigged, right. right? But you were telling me that originally, Brian. Like, pe- that is something people debate. They, like, some people, like, they think Decker may or may not be an android, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I that might be more of a movie argument, but the whole thing is, I mean, do we ever witness Decker take the test? Well, I think we're just told he takes it himself. Right, but, I mean, if he were an android, he would Right, be... of course, of course. In the course of the story, when he's chasing down, these androids are really clever. They actually insinuate themselves into this false police department, mm-hmm. right? This completely like hermetically sealed police department where they even dupe some humans into working for them, right? And there is a human bounty hunter there that Decker meets, who Decker is sure because he works for this agency is also an android. Decker gives him the the humanity test, and the guy turns out to be human. And then Decker's like, "Okay, hang on," and he so he tells the guy, "Put the stuff on me," and then he asks himself some questions, 
and and the guy monitors the needles and those confirm that he's like human but has an empathetic empathetic response for the androids yeah um it's implied there that his baseline is that he would pass the test. But didn't though. the secretary also pass the test? Wasn't she like a series four, like capable of passing the test? She was like the latest Android off the line. Oh, uh, I don't remember her name. Rachel, Rachel. No, she failed though. That was what she failed. She said she was, uh, yeah, she, she passed herself off as what's his name's daughter. Yeah. The idea here is this latest group of androids are part of this Nexus six series of, androids who have this they're very they're very passively human and the rosen i think it's the rosen corporation but this corporation run run by the rosen families who's producing them well the prototype for their line is called her name is rachel rosen decker shows up there and he wants to administer the police department's current test uh on a selection of both humans and androids without knowing in advance which one's which they just present him with with rachel and she she actually fails, guys. Yeah. She fails the test. But the guy explained is like, see now, and I mentioned this earlier. I mentioned this failed mission earlier. She was on the Proxima mission, you know, to to go settle another planet, and you know that ended up turning around and coming back to Earth in failure. And so therefore, she would never be able to relate, you know, on a normal human level. And Decker seems like sad. They almost fool him with that, but she did she did fail the test. But they tried to invalidate the results. And then he like hits her with one last question on the way out the door that like trips her up, because she ref- she refers to the owl that they're going to bribe kind of bribe him with as an it instead of a she, and that clues him in that like wait a minute, she's she's not empathetic to this animal. Um, but no, none of the so far, Brian. Like again, if you can get beyond like the everything is being carefully controlled and there's <laughs> no real independent action, supposedly the androids can still not pass the. The Voigtkampf test, it's called. Um, but what was your, what, what was the point of your question about that? I forgot. Mine or? Yeah, about whether one of the androids passed the secretary. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just, I might possibly be thinking of the wrong android, but I thought that the test had been, like, kind of secretly invalidated. So... Deckard's results would not matter one way or the other. Yeah, it, it, apparently not. But I, I'm still not convinced that the test is valid. I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced of anything. I come away from. I come away like I can't get past the, the first time I read it, and then this time too. I couldn't get past the sort the sort of opening bit where they tell you, you know, about how the world had basically ended. It just do, it, it doesn't add up to me that the world was completely like destroyed. Thus kind of forcing people to go colonize, it like kind of prodded colonization, right? There had been like a slow colonization effort, but then once the world got like wrecked, then people had to bail out. And they're really trying to push the remaining human population to leave. If you don't leave, you become genetically unfit as a result of radiation exposure. And then you're like not even considered human. So you lose your human status. And like that all just seems too engineered to me. Like why... And I, the author may have intended nothing like this, but looking at it through like the, the modern prism or the modern lens, I should say, I, I, that, I just can't stop wondering like, why, <laughs> why, what is the, are they just trying to get humanity to move? Like, are they, is it a, is it a controlling few who have all the power and they just want everybody to leave earth so they can have it for themselves? Like, I just hard to tell what's going on. You know, I, um, I don't know. Uh, y- 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 
you are right. It may just be modern lens, but I always got a very like ruling class off world or trying to program a obedient slave class. And the androids like biggest sin was not being controllable. Right. Yes. Spot on, Brian. But that's also true of the people, like the, the the remaining humans on Earth. Like we want to make sure they're, you know, sufficiently sedated and sufficiently mutated to be controllable if they come up. Yeah, and oh, that, you're really making a good points. So, so the genetic fitness thing might make them in, not suitable for the aims of the secret ruling class, right? So that might be like a, that. Actually, might be real. But no, I think it makes them more suitable. It probably sterilizes oh. them immediately probably physically sets them apart from these like you know pure uh examples that left you know whatever 100 years ago oh so either way they win it, yeah it is it is they're ignorant and look funny either way you win so if you become a, a so-called chicken head you lose your you lose your humanity and therefore you become like pliant, right? You, you, well, I'm not human anymore. I'm too stupid. I, and they doubt themselves at every turn. Like the few characters you meet who have t- supposedly devolved, they actually don't seem stupid to me. Like they reason, they think things through, but they doubt themselves because they've been designated as this lower, as, as, as belonging to this lower caste. Right. Right. And, and not even, I mean, again, with the drugs and the religion, like they may not have a choice. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. And of the remaining po- human population on Earth, those who can't, like, so, so you either become pliant by getting demoted to a chicken head because of radiation exposure, or you, you comply with their wishes by emigrating. Either way, they have you, right? Like, you, you're, you're part of the plan now. Right. I mean, if you just and buy they, into it, oh, okay, whatever. At least I get off this shithole. Like, Great, you're complying already. Yeah, and you apparently don't notice something that the androids, that uh, it's Pris Stratton, one of the androids, tells... Uh, what the chicken head that takes her and the other and the babies in the the three the last three androids these names will sound familiar to people who have seen the movies by the way uh she tells them that mars is just like lonely and utterly pointless like everybody there they they tell you you have to have a hobby <laughs> like you, you like i think one of the androids ran a stamp store um because it's just like a lonely boring like pointless place and i guess the androids are there to kind of as another tool of like uh, dumbing down the masses, right? Because they handle all the toil for you while you just, like, engage in your idle, like, stamp collecting. Well, I think it might even be, I don't know, more symbolic than that because the the rich have often been stereotyped as being horribly idle. Uh, they do uh, nothing of consequence. So you think, the, you think the off-worlders are the idle rich or are they the pawns of the idle rich? <laughs> well, probably the pawns because i think there's a you know i I think you're right there's another colony of actually idle rich right 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 but the uh the martians are idle because they don't actually need anything they're not they're not struggling like the terrans and they're not you know rich and idle like the uh colonists or whatever the true the true rulers right there's there's just nothing for them they're kind of like caught in limbo which is why the androids are like this sucks let's go back Right, that we just we exist simply to you know <laughs> enable the the pointless lives of these humans, 
And so, Brian, I want to revisit that point you made about the androids, like, basically being non-compliant. But this this secret ruling class we're imagining, I have a theory about that ship that was going to Proxima that was actually leaving the solar system and going to another solar system. That represented the ultimate loss in control, right? Or loss of control, right? Meaning here would be an independent group of humans outside the reach, presumably, of this ruling class who could potentially form their own civilization that could rival them. Uh, thus, they say, they say the ship turned around. They give you no explanation. I suspect they called it back or, or contrived some reason for it to turn around. What do you guys think of that? I haven't let Cam talk. Do you have any? No, no, I don't. I don't <laughs> I uh yeah it it could be that or I, I don't I don't think it was ever stated did did they ever arrive or did they offload or did everyone come back like did somebody find it's, out the truth and and there was a mutiny it stated that they turned around and came back um on one occasion like in you know just in general exposition and then when they're trying to when they're trying to dupe Deckard into thinking that the that uh, Rachel Rosen is not an android. It's because, oh, she was on that ship and she was isolated for so long. Which also kind of feeds into my thinking here because the mere isolation from, like, the hive mind would cause you to not have the same shared experiences and the same ways of thinking. Right. There's that, probably like a, a different no test that she would pass, but not ours. Right. 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 So... I don't yeah, know. I, mean, I think that answers the uh, the control issue. I mean, if they don't even pass our test, yeah, yeah, that would be that would that would indicate divergence from the prescribed way of thinking, and uh, we can't have that. Hence, turn that ship around. And um, so that gets back to the androids who were created as sort of this mechanism to like you know sat- satisfy the idle peasantry on Mars, but who like absolutely do not go along with the program, right? Hence they are like an, another existential threat to the order that has established itself. Is that what you were kind of getting at, Brian? Yeah. I mean, I think that's really the only thing wrong with them. There's nothing wrong with like machines reaching sentience, even in this sci-fi world, you know, if they can pass the test, great. They're just like us. And one of the themes that I love that we haven't really talked about is they're more, like us because we're programming ourselves now they've surpassed us yeah they are they're they're intellectually superior right they they don't have like the quirks and ticks that i think we we have right so that's how we that's how we tell they're not, they're too analytical so that's thus they're not human right no no um, i i just meant they're like actually free like i mean no humans like Oh. are free any longer. They're not thinking for themselves at all. They need to connect to the hive mind to get through their day. They might as well be, you know, courted. That's that's a great point. And in fact, so the androids, I think, at least some of the androids learn the truth of that. In fact, there's a very influential uh, android who runs another... A tel- what seems like the only television show <laughs> available, <laughs> which is the Buster Friendly <laughs> show. And 
they telegraph pretty early on that he's an android, right? Because the show's never, it, it's like never off the air. It's off the air for like 10 minutes a day, and he does a radio show, and he never gets tired. And, and this points to the humans being dumbed down. Like, they never really put it together that this guy never takes a break from his show. Uh, so he's a big, oh, wow. And that this also feeds back into the whole thing where the androids are a tool of pacification, right? Because he's the ultimate pacification tool. Like, here's your idiot box with one channel with this android that does our bidding. But the android rebels. He rebels and he, through investigation, uncovers that mercerism is a fraud. Yeah, it's a sham religion made up. And like the shared vision you have of ascending this like mountain, this whole cycle of ascending this mountain, then descending again into death and then rising again, uh, where you basically first see from the third person and then merge into the person of this like old man. It was all a sham. It was it was all filmed in a Hollywood lot, and you know this was just made up. And in that in that regard, like the androids are kind of trying to help humans break free of this like slate kind of bondage they're in. Isn't isn't that the case? Do you agree, Cam? Yeah, for sure, for sure. The only thing I didn't understand about that, and maybe I just I don't know, maybe I just wasn't understanding it, but. Didn't they have like some like supernatural visions about Mercer though? Decker did when he came in and he bumped off the last guys. Yes, he saw, and this <laughs> this gets back to like yeah, yeah, and that other guy too. Isil, I, I keep calling him. I always called him Isildor, but that's not what his name is. <laughs> yeah, Isidore. Yeah. yeah, the chicken head guy who takes the last three androids in is named Isidore. Yeah, and both he yeah. and Deckard have visions of Mercer out while not communing with Mercer, while not like plugged into this hive mind experience. Which gets back to the fact, like, that's when they really have control. When even when they control you, even when you're not connected. Oh, that could have been withdrawal and, symptoms, for all we know. Yeah. It could have been. It could have been. But, like, but I think it was that sort of, like, well, you don't know, you, you know, but you don't know. Like, yeah, they uncovered that it was a sham. He, he uncovered all this stuff. But then, then, he's, then they're having these, like, weird visions, too, you know, about whatever. So like, is it really a sham or I don't know? It, it, I mean, it, like you know, obviously it was a parallel to like, you know, modern religion and Jesus and the Bible and stuff like that. But yeah, I I, I I'm not sure if the author meant it as a critique of religion in general or not. I mean, you you can certainly argue, and I won't get into specific religious belief for their merits. You you can certainly argue that religion has been co opted throughout the centuries oh, sure, yeah. and and used, you know to control people. Um, but this is one they made out of whole cloth. And I really wonder like, is, Oh, actually there are a couple Mercer reveals to, um, Decker, like in one of the visions. Yeah. It's a total sham, but you know, the religion's not going to go anywhere and the androids will never figure out why. And I took on a hopeful note, I took that to mean because people have a spiritual side and they can believe even if the facts, you know, don't add up. They, you know, in their hearts, they, they, they have this, this empathy connection and they'll strive together whether you, you show the religion to be false or not. That's one way to take it. The other way is they'll never realize the extent to which we control your mind. Mm-hmm. Um, it sounds like we're all kind of leaning toward the latter <laughs> for the meaning behind that. Do you, do you agree with that, Brian? Yeah, I think it's I, I think it's what makes those androids more dangerous. Like you know, they cannot be controlled like that. They do not understand those motivations. Like we gotta cut them down and kill them. 
So given that, if we're going to keep running with this, given that these androids are a threat, that these ones that go rogue are a threat, because they can like basically enter human society and, and pass for human and then be kind of subversive, how does the Rosen Corporation get away with every generation like making them more and more and more passable on purpose so that they can eventually pass for human. Like how, if there is a nefarious like power that, that isn't really defined, is it just that the Rosen corporation is a rival power with a different mission or maybe they're all androids? Like maybe none of the Rosens are actually human. Like I'm just, I have a hard time figuring out like, what their motivation is here for trying to pass off androids as human. Did Rosen have anything to do with the Proxima mission? Did they like build the spaceships or launch mission control or anything? I don't believe it. They might be the technocrats. Ah, so they are a rival faction perhaps. Perhaps. What do you think of that cam? It makes sense. It definitely makes sense. It makes sense. And it's intriguing because they're showing the trailers I've seen from the Blade Runner movie seem to show a little more, potential intrigue with the creators of the androids. So hopefully there's more to that. But yeah, that's interesting. So humanity, I answered the question about whether Decker's an android or not in our Facebook chat, basically with, it doesn't really matter. He's completely controlled. (laughs) And I completely stand by that. Like it, I think the humans have the worst, the androids only live like four years and are like made to be slaves because humans can't get the metabolism and the reproduction of cells to, to, to go on longer than that, supposedly. But I think humans have it worse. They are like basically they're plugged into a hive mind, honestly. And, and like to what end, who knows? Um, and it's like I said, it's, it's kind of a grim and scary prospect. I came, I can't, I find the book horrifying still. I don't know if you guys are with me on that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. When when was the Proxima mission? Um, I don't think they give you a timeline for that. I know it was it's not recent, was it? Well, it had to be pretty recent if Rachel was on. Oh, you know what? They imply that she had reached teenage years on the Proxima mission, like her formative years. Rachel, you know, when they're passing her off as human, so she didn't form like during those times all the things that a normal human would. And she's now, I think, she's 18 uh, in the book. So it was pretty recent, I guess, that they would have returned in failure. But more than four years is what I'm saying. So androids living four years is kind of debunked. Oh, well, yeah, but Rachel, they were lying. Rachel wasn't on that mission. They were just they were just saying she was on that mission to explain her non-human tics, you know, that, that Deckard picked up on with his test. All right, I'll give them that. She, she didn't actually go on it. Um. But yeah, it's implied that the Proxima mission failed soon. And I have, yeah, I I think that's some kind of a power play. I think we're onto the, onto something there. I mean, here, here and I mean, here's one thing I I never understood, and like, I feel like it's just a huge plot hole, and maybe I'm just too dumb to understand. But so, like, I don't understand how the tests were so like inconclusive or so hard to do. When, like, if you're creating something, this company that's creating something, like, they couldn't have created an easily detectable, like, marker or some sort of, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> that's where the story falls down for me. It's like, you, you can't detect your own creation. You know what I'm saying? You can't detect your own 
like it, it's it's clearly in the future and technology has advanced to such a state that you can't uh, i don't know that's what that's what i didn't get oh there has to be an alternate faction then i i uh, actually i think that's why do you say that brian well because because of cam's question like why would you do that because you're an alternate faction and don't want to be caught Oh, why why would you make your androids undetectable, yeah. you're saying? Like that is their yeah, that is their striving. Um no, I think they're trying, Cam, and I think like they imply in the book, like it's getting harder and harder for the police to detect. Like they're now like he basically they have to put a, like an electrode on your cheek and like shine a laser beam into your eye. And based on like these tiny like little variances in readings, not the, the androids register the same readings, but they don't register them fast enough. So, like, they don't quite have the software down or something. And they even say, Rachel even says, uh, when she kind of reveals that she is actually a countermeasure herself against the police, uh, that, you know, eventually they'll figure out how to beat these tests, too. And then the next model will, will, will beat those. So the, the, the corporation is definitely making concerted effort to cheat the tests. Yeah, but I, I mean, it's like you can't. They don't have like a biometric scanner. Like they don't have like you know they can't put you in like a, a you know what was that a total recall type thing? You, know, you just go behind the screen and they can't tell. Like I, I don't get it. Man. Like it's well, they're or, they're organic. The the androids are organic. No, I know, but there's still some sort of like subcomponents of like then then they're clones. Then you know what I'm saying? Then they're not like then they're not androids. Then they're clones. Well, there has to be some reason they're not detectable. Right. Yeah. Well, the, the, here's the thing, Kev. If I if I basically created from scratch like a human being, like I grew it from cells, but because I couldn't get the cell metabolism to go on in perpetuity like it does with humans, that they age out and die in four years, would you say I haven't created a human being? Like it thinks, it talks, it has it has a personality. Because I programmed its personality, it doesn't quite have all the nuances as a human being. No, but no, I, I, but I wouldn't call it an android. Right, but they do. <laughs> I like how you just described I mean, the humans in that world in your you wouldn't call that a human speech. <laughs> <laughs> They're not they don't have the biology to be long-term viable and they are programmed because their personalities don't work anymore. Right, like what, what is the other than the fact that there are biological shortcomings of the androids? Um, you know, what makes the <laughs> how are the humans any better? They're, you know, both are like I guess the androids have a built... I almost think that's engineered into them to die young. And... Oh, actually, you know what? I just thought of something else. Rachel makes a quip. God, this... Rachel is so, like... She's a really interesting character. I, I mentioned that she's a countermeasure against the police. Do you guys remember how she, like, basically gets the uh, bounty hunters to stop bounty hunting and, and killing off the company's androids? Oh, she has sex with them. Yeah. <laughs> she... She forms a relationship with them. She sleeps with them. And then all but one has never gone back to bounty hunting. And that's high. I mean, I just find that such an awesome and devious plan. Like, like basically they hacked like humans, you know what I mean? Like, but she mentions, uh, Deckard asked her how old she is. She, she says it's been two years. She's like, so you only got about two years to live. And then I think she basically quips like, well, that's so humans won't run off with us. (laughs) And I didn't know if that was just a quip on her part or if that is actually like, Maybe something the company bakes into them is that is that shortened life because they don't they even the company if you want to view them as the good guy here they want to maintain some measure of control meaning the androids can't who knows maybe they have some unknown purpose and the androids are just a tool they're using but they don't want them to live too long 
Yeah, and, and that sort of goes back to what I was saying in the very beginning, though. It's like a lot of, a lot of, and, and like I'm very easily like into suspending disbelief, you know. Um, it just seemed like a lot of things just sort of fell down. So they only lived for four years. So is that like a, I mean, yeah, is that a countermeasure for, to make sure that they don't like, you know, live so long that they like take everything over? Um, or is it just, you know, Dick decided, hey, I, I need some sort of plot mechanism to, <laughs> you know, make some sort of, you know, urgency, you know, and same thing with like not being able to detect the androids. If that, if that is not there, the whole book doesn't make sense, you know? So I feel like he just put that in there and was like, okay, well, so now it's like hard to distinguish them. Well, okay, that's fine. But like, it doesn't make sense technologically to me. And maybe I'm just being too much of a stickler, but I, I, I don't know. So you're saying that they, they should be easily detectable yeah, or? Yeah. I don't, I don't see why you shouldn't be able to detect them. I mean, especially if like they're a created thing, you know, like it's, a, it, it's, it's not like you have just some rogue faction out there that's just making clones and you can't tell them genetically, diff- you know, any different from like a human. Um, they're, they're, they're androids. They're, they're a human creation. There was no way that either you couldn't have put something in there or even if you didn't put something in there, there's no way to, to just, you're telling me that you're, you've advanced that far scientifically that you can do that, but you can't, you have no way of figuring out whether you did it or not. Well, no, the, you're saying that the company can't detect its own androids? No, I'm saying like even like outside of the company, like the the cops or the the you know. Whoever. And why would they create they, something like what? At what purpose is there to not being able to detect them? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, that's the question I was getting at earlier. I think. Uh, I think maybe the company may just be like. They may consider that, what, an externality, <laughs> Cam? Like, well, that's not our problem. We make passable androids, well, the yeah, and, best and, and androids the we can and, and you, But the government's put so many, so many resources and so much into, like, tracking these things down and killing them, but they, don't, they can't pass a law that says, hey, you've got to be able to track these things, corporation? <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's what I'm saying. It's like, no matter how far you spin it out, I feel like it just doesn't make sense. Um, you, you, one gets the impression from the fact that basically cops have to hire bounty hunters to track these things down that the corporation uh, acts in its own, it has a great deal of autonomy and is barely answerable to the government. Although they did say that if one of the androids could or would not be detected, then they would recall them or maybe they would recall them. I forgot how that went, but they were going to like recall the androids under a certain circumstance, I think. Yeah. Well, that's that's the thing. It's like we're three pretty intelligent people, and we're into this stuff. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's, and, it's, and like we can't figure out like why this makes sense. So like I feel like that's a pretty big. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I, I don't know. It could. I mean, it could be a plot hole. But actually, I think one of the other reasons I like this book is it does one of my favorite things, which is leaves a bunch of questions yeah. unanswered yeah, and I, leaves I, you I like asking this. more. Yeah, I like that too. I like unanswered questions and like things that just are like, well, it leaves it open to interpretation. That's fine with me. But one of my big pet peeves is like, if I look at something and like I said, I'm pretty easily swayed into, look, this is just how it is. You just have to accept that. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm, I'm willing to do that for entertainment. Um, but this was just, I don't know, too big of an ask for me, I think, especially the second go around. Yeah. You just yeah. Could, you lost something this time. Yeah. Hmm. 
it kind of cemented things for me. But, uh... <laughs> oh, well, that, but that's good. I mean, that's like that's the reason behind art, right? I mean, one person's interpretation is totally different than the other, and so I think that's probably the sign of at least a quality work. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. I mean, I think that you know, aside, I mean, I think there are so many other good points about it that it you know, I'm not saying in any way that it's terrible or it's you know whatever. I'm it's still amazing, but I, I don't know. I just like I said, it just rang. Ring very hollow for me in the second time around. Like it wasn't, you know, I don't know. Maybe it was because I was a little bit in awe of it the first time I read it, and then when I read it the second time, and I really started thinking about it, I was like, eh, I don't know. <laughs> How about you, Brian? I've said this uh, of a lot of different things um, over the years. You kind of get out of it what you want to put in in it, and if you just like, oh, there's a huge plot hole, let me just accept that, you'd probably get the most out of it. Or if you want, like to, like you just said, Tom, if you want to think about it endlessly to figure out what the plot hole means and everything, you probably enjoy yourself. Um, second best, I guess. Like, I, I don't think there's any answer to that. I don't think there's you're going to get closure. Because, I mean, maybe this whole book was supposed to be the pilot episode of this huge android war that would, they were setting you know like yeah. you can go anywhere with that yeah i think if this book was written today and met with success this would be explained like all this would be explained ad nauseum in like 16 sequels you know a tv series an anime a comics <laughs> you know what i mean yeah uh and if this second blade runner movie does good then that offshoot of this book will definitely explore like everything decorate for lunch on every day you know between the two movies <laughs> it'll leave no stone unturned no question unanswered no mystery <laughs> not ruined <laughs> thankfully though this book i think though popular is itself not a vehicle for uh for the commercial exploitation beyond just selling copies do you, do you guys agree with that i'm blown away that they're actually making this sequel I'm pretty thrilled about it because I'm usually like, oh, the book's better. This thing based on the – well, I shouldn't say. I try not to be that guy, but often I find I am. You know, the I don't like this thing based on the book. But I actually really like Blade Runner, and it is different enough to be its own work in my opinion. But damn, it's really good. And this sequel I hope is also really, really good. Who's the star? They didn't get somebody annoying like Shia LaBeouf or something, right? Like it's that it's Deadpool, isn't it? No, it's Ryan Gosling. Oh, I like him. Isn't that Deadpool? No, that's uh, Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, it's Reynolds. Oh, should be good, I think. And I like him. Ryan Ryan Reynolds did R.I.P.D. Oh my gosh, that movie. <laughs> don't bring that movie <laughs> memories of that up. There's a super subtle nod in the trailer that gives me hope that it's going to be good. I love whatever his name is, Ryan Reynolds, confronting Deckard. I want to ask you some questions. Oh, basically tra yeah. verifying that he's a, a human or something? <laughs> I don't even know if they're really going to test him, you know? Like, that, that just that saying. Because there's, there's tons of reasons you want to ask guys some questions, you know? Like, who knows? And why, yeah, why, why is he tracking I, him down, And right? It just shows they're into it. It shows they understand their audience. I don't think the movie looks very good, honestly, but that gives me a lot of hope that at least it's not like a cash in. You don't think it looks good though? Or Yeah, I don't know. It, it I, I think it's gonna be like 
a, a reason to blow up some androids. I don't think it's going to be very deep. <laughs> I hope you're wrong because I the first I hope I'm wrong too. But the first movie was pretty deep in my opinion for for a damn movie. Like I don't know. I thought it had a lot going on, and. God, I think Deckard, by now, I, I think Rachel, they gave her a 10-year lifespan, so she should be dead. So Deckard should just be, like, alone with his memories. Um, oh, wow. I, I, this Okay, this episode isn't about that movie, but <laughs> I think it's fair to say we're all looking forward to it, to at least see what they do. Absolutely. I mean, I'm definitely going to go see it, for sure. Yeah, me too. Okay, we've kind of had a meandering, but I think pretty fun discussion about do androids dream of electric sheep? We didn't go like point for point through the whole story. We kind of give you an overview and then touched on a bunch of different themes as we saw them. And, uh, I didn't really want to just like recite chapter after chapter. So in chapter one, this happens in chapter two, that happens. So I hope you guys, I hope you guys found that satisfying. I mean, I don't, I don't think the actual happenings are all that important to the story. I think it's all about, you know, the, the wise now. Exactly. Yes. Whereas I think the happenings are probably more what the movie's about. I, I don't know. I don't read that much into movies as I do with books for some reason. Read. <laughs> uh, but then again, when I see this movie, maybe I'll be reminded that I do. Anyway, that said, I think we have given this topic a pretty good treatment. Anything else you guys want to discuss? Uh, nope. That's it, yeah. All right. And I think we can bring this episode to an end. And I will start by reminding our listeners that you'll never pass the Voidkampf test if you don't have the empathy it takes to give our show a listen once a week. You can check that out on iTunes or wherever you catch your podcast. We absolutely, speaking of empathy, require your validation in the form of positive feedback and maximum stars. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, add us to your Google circle, and join the Nerdstravaganza HQ group on Facebook. Uh, hop on over to nerdstravaganza.com, check out all of our past episodes and other uh, amazing content. Fly on over to YouTube and type in Nerdstravaganza in the handy dandy search bar, check out all of our video content, and send us an email at nerdstravaganza at gmail.com and tell us what you dream of. And as we set our mood organs to optimal settings to move on with our lives, Brian, take us out of here. I think I'll uh, set myself for six hours of existential crisis. (laughs) That's a great setting.